sounds like. is objection to the rule your live sunday news hour uh we it is 2 2 2020 it's groundhog it's day. groundhog day it's and groundhog super bowl day. day it's like maybe the most american uh holiday of all time yeah well or day. I, I was celebrating um janet jackson appreciation day myself when I was cleaning, I was listening to her all morning. So wait, is it also Janet Jackson Appreciation Day? Well, that's what we call it because of what went down that one Super Bowl with Oh my God, just, Justin of the Musty. I actually so, I think about that all the time. Actually, it makes me really sad. Yes, yeah, ridiculous. But I forgot. I don't think of it. I don't off. Yeah, when I think about halftime shows, not the event itself, but. Yeah. Also, yeah. Shout out to Janet Jackson. Yeah, you deserve better. Here. Yeah, she's still an icon. You know. I know her name. I don't know who's playing today. Uh, me. <laughs> <laughs> but good luck to everybody. Yeah. yeah. Um, and Jasmine, it's so I'm Emily and Jasmine is here too. It's the two of Hello. us today. She's running the boards. It's just the Woo-hoo. two of us. So. Just the. Uh-uh. Just kidding. Yeah, just the two <laughs> of us. It's a great song. I can't sing now, so I'm not going to pretend like I can. But um, yeah, so we have uh, a great show coming up for you. Um right now <laughs> should we just dive into the stories sure like we can we can get started yeah uh so. and we have a local story jasmine you want to do yours first sure cool. so this is um it's it's local and that is something that's focused on things going on in new york state the empire state that we live in so the other day online i saw someone saying that at the Human Rights Commission, like the HRC gala that happened, I believe it was last night, Governor Cuomo was voicing his support of repealing the walking while trans ban, which I had never heard of before. I was like, well, what is that? Like, what does that mean? And so I decided to do a little bit of digging. So what is labeled as the walking while trans um, like law? is actually, it's an anti-loitering statute that's part of the New York State Penal Code, but because of the way that it's enforced, it disproportionately affects um, sex workers, people that are assumed to be sex workers. So what happens is like a disproportionate number of um, black and brown trans women are harassed by the police because of this um, law. So most of this information comes from the Queen's the Queen's Eagle, which is a Queens-based newspaper, and the article was written by Emma Whitford. So there was a rally this past Tuesday in Albany by activists to try to push for getting rid of this particular piece of Section 240.37 of the State Penal Code. So the section reads, it's it's a little jargony, but I think it's important to know like how far-reaching this is it says for the purposes of this section public place means any street 
sidewalk, bridge alley or alleyway, plaza, park, driveway, parking lot or transportation facility, or the doorways and entranceways to any building which fronts on any of the aforesaid places or a motor vehicle in or any such place. So that's pretty, that's a, that's anywhere, really. Yeah. <laughs> so any person who remains or wanders about in a public space and repeatedly beckons to, stops, attempts to stop, yada, 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 and repeatedly interferes with the free passage of other persons for the purpose of prostitution, as that term is defined in Article 230 of this part, shall be guilty of a violation and is guilty of a Class B misdemeanor if such person has previously been convicted of a violation of this section or of Section 230.00 of this part. So I think it's important to recognize that if you read more of the penal code, it escalates the more, like, if it's like, if this Mm -hmm. has happened before, like, now, like, we're going to charge you with this, we're going to charge you with that. So police have been using um, this part of the penal code to charge people that they assume to be sex workers based on their appearance or their location. Sex workers and trans women of color led led a legal challenge in 2016, but they've been speaking out against this law for long before that. The law was actually enacted in 1976. The Repeal Walking While Trans Ban Coalition said in a statement to the paper that as we go into the 2020 legislative session, we ask that the Democratic-led New York State Legislature finally repeal and repair harm that should never have been inflicted on Black and Latinx trans and cis women. A Cuomo spokesperson, Caitlin Giroir, like I, it's a French last name, I'm not sure if she says it that way, indicated openness to the legislation in a statement to the paper. Uh, She says we would have to review the final bill, but the government strongly opposes the unequal enforcement of any law as a means to target a specific community. Uh, I thought this part was interesting, too. In 2018, overall prostitution-related arrests declined, Mm -hmm. but loitering arrests spiked, like Mm -hmm. there was a sharp uptick. More than half of the 121 loitering arrests in New York City took place in Queens. Hmm. So this group, the Repeal Walking While Trans Ban Coalition, is a subset of Decrim New York or Decrim NY. It's a grassroots organization of people with experience in the sex trade. Uh, This group introduced legislation in 2019 to decriminalize the adult sex trade. However, like I'm sure, as you can imagine, it's a lot easier to get people to support repealing a small piece of the penal code that, Mm -hmm. you know, you can you can say, you know, it's not fair to have, you know, people being profiled on the street and harassed. But it's a lot more difficult to get broad support for people to decriminalize the adult sex trade period Mm -hmm. so even though that's their ultimate goal and they're still fighting for that organizers are saying you know repealing the loitering statute is a distinct short-term priority for 2020 so i think there's a lot of hope that if there's enough support behind this that it can actually happen and you know it might not be the end of all of the problems but it makes a big difference if someone isn't getting stopped on their way home or whatever they might be doing mm-hmm. and getting hemmed up hemmed up by the cops um so the repeal walking while trans ban coalition rallied at the state capitol this past tuesday and hoping for the bill to be passed 
And even though the rally happened, I didn't find a lot of coverage of the rally. And the speech that Cuomo gave at the HRC event this week, where, you know, people online were saying he voiced support for repealing this piece of legislation. I didn't see any clips of him saying that, but I did see him. I did see clips of him saying um, that he was pushing legislation to make surrogacy and second parent adoption more accessible Mm. um, to help make getting married and having a family like more openly available to LGBTQ people. But I didn't see anything, any video clips, any like I didn't hear any audio clips of him saying he was going to be really behind repealing this piece of legislation. So if you want to learn more about Decrim New York, you can visit decrimny.org. That's D-E-C-R-I-M-N-Y dot org. There's a donate button on their page, and there's also a form to fill out if you're interested in the newsletter or volunteering for the group. Um, there's also a very easy like way to sign up for updates about the progress of the broader decriminalization ban like through the New York State Senate. So if you visit their website, there's a lot of hot links to read the full law, mm-hmm. and you can click on that, sign up, and keep track of what's going on. Interesting. Um, great research, Jasmine. That's that's a like a heavy one too. Um, maybe should we talk a little bit about like why um, trans people of color tend to be like why they are you know the reality of the situation is that they're targeted more often with these. Sure, I mean I think whenever you have it reminded me a little bit of like laws that passed after the Civil War, like anti vagrancy laws, mm-hmm. like these very vague that were basically they gave people in law enforcement like free reign to just be like, oh, like you're loitering in a public space, yeah. but you're only targeting certain people so that you can take advantage of them or disenfranchise them. There are a number of people like trans people, gender nonconforming people, and also cis women that are vulnerable, that are targeted for sexual harassment. Some of them are assaulted by police Mm -hmm. officers. And when you're in a situation like that, like there's pressure on you to do things to like not have a record or to not have things escalate. So, yeah, I think, you know, unfortunately, you have a lot of people that know what they can get away with, Mm -hmm. with certain populations that they think, well, nobody's going to care if this happens to them. So, yeah, like, I think that it's um, it's a matter of people Mm -hmm. just knowing, like, if they were to, you know, walk up to any like, I don't know, like some rich dude or whatever that's hanging on some corner that looks suspicious. Like, are they really going to go after him? No. Mm hmm. They're going to go after someone that they feel doesn't have that much of a voice or like they know people aren't mm-hmm. going to turn out in droves to support yeah. them. So. And that they're like, you know, there's an, probably a lot of internal bias against, you know, an idea of who that person is and, you know, the type of quote unquote trouble they might cause those sorts of things, too. Yeah, it's really great. And I, I think that um, personally, like I underestimated for a while, like how much disdain people have for sex workers mm-hmm. because... Yeah, it's a problem that they're looking at people and assuming like, oh, because this person, because of how they're dressed or the way their body looks or how their face looks, or they're hanging outside of this or that bar, assuming like, oh, they must be a sex worker. But 
there's also a problem with like, well, even if they are a sex worker, right. why is it okay right. for you to do that? So Yeah, we um I think uh before you joined the show, we we had um, a discussion mm-hmm. on the decriminalization decriminalization of sex work because mm-hmm. um, there was there was a movement gaining traction, I think, in the state government related to that decrim New York. I'm, sh- I'm sure we talked about that, too. And it was interesting. It was really we talked a lot about um, both sides of the issue because at, at the heart of it, not always, but is a concern for the um women and trans women involved in their safety and a lot of different ideas of how to how that how decriminalizing decriminalizing helps or hurts them, which is really interesting. And also like a discussion of the the word sex work versus prostitution and the um the connotations and negative things that the word prostitution come brings up to. Um it's a really complicated issue. And it's it's also one that uh, oh, even you know what? Maybe that's the wrong word. I wouldn't say it's complicated because I think I I do not feel like I'm torn. I feel like decriminalizing decriminalizing is a, is would be a positive step forward. Um, but I also think that it's there's a lot of like in this country, especially too, and looking at sex as like um and crimes related to it and. It, we're kind of all backwards and upside down and like how hard it is to prosecute rape charges, but how easy right. it is to prosecute, pro, uh, prosecute sex workers and things like that, you know? Right. And there's also a lot of things that um, well-meaning people right. will, you know, it, in the name of stuff like, oh, like human trafficking, right. like sex trafficking is horrible. And clearly, like, it is horrible. I'm not saying that it isn't. But some of the measures that people take thinking that they're fighting that mm-hmm. actually hurt people that are engaged in sex work that have not been trafficked. Mm-hmm. Or it's a matter of survival for them. Like, yeah. I'm not sure if you remember when Backpage was taken down and that was a big yeah. thing in the news. I think that might have been part when we were talking about too, a few months ago. Yeah, it was like, you know, there, of course, like it was a problem because there would be like minors on that site, like mm-hmm. people that had been kidnapped and they were being exploited. But what wasn't fully considered was that there are people who are engaged in sex work for whatever reason, for survival, like because they need to do it or it's a job like some Mm -hmm. not everyone has the same attitude towards sex that, you know, someone who wouldn't engage in sex work does. But a lot of those workers were relying on that site as a way to keep themselves safe mm-hmm. and to sort of vet potential clients instead of being pushed out to the street where you have no idea like right. who's approaching you. Yeah. So I, yeah, I think it's important and I think it's good that the Decrim um New York group is led by people that are of that experience mm-hmm. because they would know better than anybody what the community needs so yeah and yeah and um with decriminalization comes the ability to regulate things because i think you know uh sex work is isn't often called like the the first professional oldest profession like i think just like pro like prohibition of alcohol like we're never gonna and get drugs. rid of it it's and like drugs. people have been right altering their minds since the beginning of time yeah. it's not gonna stop it's not gonna stop and i and our like the efforts to you know use the penal system to stop it or seem so or seem so stupid and futile. And I think, you know, just like working with the situation as it is and not, you know, and starting to regulate it and being able to help the people involved that need the help. I think it just, yeah, it's pretty clear to me that 
that's the right step forward. Yeah. Yeah. But, but you can't come from a place of like, we need to stamp these people right. out. Like, that's not the right attitude. So hoping that this law passes and following the progress of it in the New York State Senate. Thank you, Jasmine. Awesome. You're welcome, Emily. Yay. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I just touched my mouth to the mic by accident. And now oh, like, no. <laughs> the germs are the coming germs. for you. Oh, boy. I just need to stay out. I have to stop Googling viruses. Um, <clears throat> but Put this... the phone down. <laughs> Step away from the New York Times live updates. Anyway. All right. So we have another local story that I put together um, that has nothing to do with viruses, guys. So, <laughs> But uh, so New York City is uh, beginning an attempt at property tax reform. Um, okay, so this is something that I did not know much about because it's it's kind of um, it's it's for people who people who are interested in buying property in New York probably know more about this than I do. I've never been in a position to buy property in New York, and you know what, Emily? I don't think either <laughs> of us ever will be. I doubt it. <laughs> I really do doubt it. Um, so okay, but I think the best way to start this story is with some numbers. So the owner of a brownstone in Park Slope. And this is this is not hypothetical. These numbers are real that the New York Times found. So um, there's a brownstone brownstone in Park Slope currently listed at eight million dollars. Um, and the owner of that building pays about twenty thousand dollars a year in property tax. Um, a different owner of a different home in the Bronx um, then the market value of that home is two million dollars pays uh, slightly more in property tax per year, about twenty one thousand dollars. And finally, the owner of a $900,000 home in Yonkers uh, is also essentially paying the same amount. Um, And the reason for these weird numbers that are super nonlinear and don't seem to make any sense um, is that there's a cap on how much the property tax can increase each year. Currently, maxes out at a 6% increase per year and 20% over five years. So caps like these benefit owners in neighborhoods like Park Slope, where home prices have exploded in a relatively short amount of time. Um where the property tax increases can't keep up with the actual value, market value. Right. Um, so most places in the country, market value determines property tax. Um, and in New York, that is not the case. And it hasn't been the case for decades, actually. Um, so if this sounds unfair to you, there is a city commission that agrees. It recently recommended that most homes get assessed at full market value, a change that could, quote, affect 90% of all homeowners in New York City. However, the new system would raise the same amount of tax revenue for the city. It would just redistribute redistribute who pays what. And that's from the New York Times. Um, and the recommendation included protections for owners below a certain income level. For example, tax bills could be limited to a percentage of income. Okay. Right, which is really interesting and I think an important caveat here too because um, I think the commission is being really smart about, you know, seeing that there's an issue, but also knowing that, like, you know, they don't they're not trying to penalize someone who um, maybe like inherited a piece of property from a relative. Right. And now the price has increased, but they're not making they didn't buy it with their like, you know, giant wallets. Um, and, you know, they're not going to be penalized and maybe priced out of still owning that home. Um, so while these would be exciting changes in the movement for a more equitable city, it's important to note that nothing has been approved yet, and there have been failed attempts at reform going back decades. We're talking Ed Koch era New York, um, which is 80s. But here's to never giving up the good fight and keep your eyes peeled for public hearings the commission will be holding for feedback. Okay. Uh, yeah. Do, do you happen to know if, because I think we mm-hmm. talked a bit about um, 
these corporations that are buying up the and like right. sit vacant like does this impact them at all or it's just people who so yeah it um it would impact any owners of co-ops and condos um and that like that's part of the recommendation it's not just a physical building it's also like kind of the theoretical ownership that goes with owning okay. a, an apartment in a larger building too whether there's tenants in it or not it has nothing to do with it's just ownership okay um Property, yeah, property tax. I mean, maybe my understanding is that property tax is separate from the use of the building. It's the market value, but um, I'm, I'm sure maybe commercial versus residential has some. I'm sure it gets really complicated, but um, and tax breaks and whatnot. But um, but yeah, like it, it would hypothetically affect those owners as well. Um, but of course, it's also it's not a it's not a blanket thing that you know this neighborhood like. This eight million, like everyone's paying the same amount, and that's not fair. It's like there's certain neighborhoods, and the the rate at which mm-hmm. the pricing has increased. So a lot of those million dollar or hundreds of million dollar homes that we talked about in previous episodes being just like um like a a holding place for billionaires from other countries, and no one lives there. Um, if those neighborhoods have been really expensive for a long time, then that the um property tax has probably increased regularly with that like it's it's probably more percentage wise but like um this definitely affects neighborhoods that are rapidly gentrifying for sure that's okay. i think the main ones that i think this would um affect i think that's why park slope was like it was like the main they kept referring to that neighborhood as like the main example of a neighborhood where prices have like exploded right yeah but i think it would it wouldn't it would potentially affect them and it would it would help the property tax keep pace with any increasing value and um yeah and maybe help stabilize some of those like cuz i think you know I was in the new york times article where i got um this information from um they were talking about how you know a lot of people who buy property in new york use you know explain to themselves um oh yeah it's expensive to live in new york but at least the property taxes aren't like crazy or like you know what i mean right. it's like it's an ex- but it's also like you know, that's not going to be an excuse, which is probably for the best for some. And it, and I think, you know, for it, for others who are worried about, um, you know, not being able to afford that, hopefully the cap based on income helps with that. And that also would not, it would only apply to the main residents also of that cap. Like, so if you have a second location, if you live in another state, but have a second home in New York, you would still be paying full price. Okay. You wouldn't get to be able to ca- like cap that based on income. Okay, yeah. I mean, hope I, I cringe to think about how many problems could be solved if just the people who could afford it were being taxed at an appropriate mm-hmm. rate instead I, of you know people being tax burdened that can't really afford it. Yep. Yeah. You know, like it's pretty crazy. Um, but it's also you know there's going to be a lot of angry people, a lot of lobbyists, a lot of you know econo- you know economists coming out saying, "Blah, it's gonna blah, the market, blah blah blah." But um. Well, we can see what's happening now. It's mm-hmm. not working. Yeah. Yep. So. Yeah. So we'll see. I thought it was a weird story that I thought was kind of interesting. Just like seeing numbers like that that you're not even aware of is kind of crazy. Yeah. Cool. It's like numbers I will never see in my <laughs> bank account. <laughs> never. Um, I think it's time for our first break. Okay. Cool. And so that's on me to do, right? Oh, yeah. We're going to do this. So um, this is Violent Shiver by Benjamin Booker. And we're just going to get that hooked up. Bear with us. Um, and uh, plugging in the phone. <laughs> yeah. All right. We'll be right back. I'm turning down. Hello. 
Do you want to tell us who that was? Yes, that was Benjamin Booker, Violent Shiver. Benjamin, but I would mess. I would fuck up and be like Benjamin Button, like <laughs> Benjamin Booker. Okay, yeah, he's. I uh, that song's pretty old. I think that's like a five or six year old song. But um, I got to see him perform it live at um, Mountain Jam. Mountain Jam, yes. Which is what? Which is a a music festival at um, which mountain? Gore Mountain? No. Maybe. Don't ask me. I have no idea. <laughs> it's, it's some ski resort upstate. Is it Hunter? I don't know. Oh, wow. I mean, anyway, and it's a it's a very it's like a hip it's a it's a hippie one. It's fun. Oh, okay. There's a lot of like uh, the age range is pretty wide for music festivals. It's like I when I was there, it was like people in their like fifties and also like twenty one year olds. Okay, <laughs> that's fun. cool. It's intergenerational. Yeah, that's that's a beautiful thing. A lot of Are hippie crafts for sale. Not that I saw, but probably, okay. <laughs> probably pretty mild ones though, considering. Yeah. All right. Like fish or something like that type of. Yeah. Vibe. It was okay. super that vibe, but also like there was also like a late night, like, um, like beep boop show until 2am that I like can stay up for us. A beep boop show. <laughs> you know, like. Burr, 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 burr. <laughs> techno. I don't know. Not you learn something new every week. My nickname folks. for that kind of music. Beep boop. <laughs> hey. But we are back. You are listening to Objection to the Rule. Believe it or not, this is still your Sunday news hour. Yeah. <laughs> Talking like on about Radio Free Brooklyn. <laughs> right. You're here with Jasmine and Emily. And uh, we have a national story and uh, that our, our wonderful contributor, Matt, put together for us, but is not here to present. Um, Jasmine, would you like to to read his sure, sure. story? Okay, so the title of this one is Little Shell, Native American Tribe in Montana Gets Federal Recognition, and Matt got this from yesterday's New York Times. So the the 5,300 members of the Little Shell Tribe celebrate their legal recognition by Congress. More than 125 years ago, a band of Chippewa Indians in North Dakota, led by Chief Little Shell, claimed some 10 million acres as territory. When it came time to settle the tribe's claim, the treaty was signed on its behalf in 1892 by another tribe because the Little Shell had no federal recognition. It offered them about 10 cents an acre, and when it was over, the Little Shell band was landless and a part of the country where land was everything. For more than a century, the tribe did not have access to federal assistance nor to hold tribal land. Why did it take so long? By the time the federal government would consider the designation one of the 100 senators required to grant status, voted against the move. 
but it wasn't just the U.S. government. Other tribes did not consider the landless people real Indians, and that real Indians is in quotes. What does this mean for the people of Little Shell? Once the tribe has completed the paperwork, those enrolled in the tribe will have access to federally funded medical care and eventually funds to support the elderly and others. People have said, when that federal recognition comes, I'll get my teeth fixed and I'll get new glasses, Mr. Gilbert said. And that's that's where the what Matt's write-up cuts off. Yeah. So, And then he writes a little, congrats, I hope this helps. Which is, I think, his... This little like snarky. Oh, so okay. Yeah. I thought that that was for us. I'm like, congratulations no. <laughs> for what? Like, okay, so he's saying congratulations <laughs> to, to the, the little show yeah. people, and hopefully that you know now that they've been recognized, <laughs> or maybe he was just saying congrats. <laughs> I hope this helps y'all when you're winging your it. Show. <laughs> no, but this is not a. F- I mean, this is it's this is also it's not funny. I should stop laughing, but it's also um it is good news though, even if it's like bittersweet even if that i don't even know if that's a strong enough word for what this is where it's like um i don't know maybe just a reminder in a world that feels very unjust at the moment that there is some some people working still working for justice yeah i mean five thousand three hundred people that's not that's not nothing. i mean compared to the you know population of the united states it might seem small but that's a large number of people mm-hmm. who you know don't have access to certain things that now do and 125 years is a long time to wait for that to happen. So, mm-hmm. cool. Yeah, nice. I'm happy for them. Nice. Um, me too. And uh, actually, the fact that there was one one bad senator that kind of fucked them over back then. Uh, we're gonna segue into an impeachment update that I put together. Um, the Senate is real. Real uh, piece of work, I'll tell you what. Yeah. Boo um, hiss. <laughs> all right. So here we go, guys. Your impeachment update. Oh, just stab myself with a pen. <laughs> uh-huh. The Senate voted for 51 to 49 to reject new witnesses and evidence in the impeachment trial of Trump, with two Republican senators crossing party lines to vote yes, even though it wasn't enough to pass the measure. So snaps to Mitt Romney and Susan Collins for doing the right thing. Um, even though it's not enough. <laughs> um, uh, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi said that those who voted against documents and witnesses are, quote, accomplices, accomplices to the president's cover up. And the president was impeached for abuse of power and obstruction of justice uh, and obstru- obstruction of Congress. He is impeached forever. There can be no acquittal without a trial. And there is no trial without witnesses, documents and evidence. She called it a sad day for America to see Senate Majority Leader Senator McConnell require the Chief Chief Justice of the United States to preside over a vote which rejected our nation's judicial norms, precedents, and institutions to uphold the Constitution and the rule of law. And that's a a bunch of quotes and research from the Washington Post article I I got for this. Um, Pretty strong words. From Pelosi, but I, I think that, you know, whatever emotions I'm feeling, I felt that what I was reading from her kind of summed it up um, better than I ever could. Um, furthermore, in a statement, the House impeachment managers, which to recap were the seven Democrats appointed to prosecute their case for impeachment before the Senate, um, provided the following statement Quote, The truth cannot be denied, not for long, and the facts will continue to come out as they did today. Senators who opposed hearing from these witnesses when their testimony would have better informed a judgment on the guilt or innocence of the president 
will be hard-pressed to explain why. Senators chose instead to set a a dangerous precedent that will have long-lasting repercussions for the United States Congress, the balance of powers, and our democracy as a whole. Um, And that is another quote from I got from Washington Post research. Um, So the facts that they're referring to coming to light um, or coming out are new revelations from John Bolton, Trump's former national security advisor, that he was asked uh, by the president to help pressure Ukraine for information on Democrats over two months before the whole phone call with Ukraine's president went down. Um, and John Bolton's, and that's like from an unpublished manuscript that he wrote for a book that's like, I don't know if it's going to come out or what, but um, yeah, he had that info and he was willing to testify and he's not going to. Uh, so what comes next? Closing arguments start tomorrow morning, uh, Monday, and on Wednesday, senators will vote on the two impeachment charges against Trump for abuse of power and obstruction of Congress. More Washington Post stuff there. Um And I think we all know how this one's going to turn out and it's going to be an acquittal and it's going to suck. And it's, it's been really interesting. Um, Like I was skimming sort of the reasoning that the Republican senators who voted no and are going to quit kind of put forth. Mm -hmm. So while this definitely feels like they've all capitulated to Trump, um, Trump was, apparently demanding just like total I want them all to say you know everyone should say like this was a perfect phone call quote like you know very Trumpian language and there and the vast majority of them are saying like oh he shouldn't have done this and he shouldn't have done this but it's not it's not worth impeaching over like you know like you shouldn't remove a president from it's not enough info to remove a president from office or blah 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 or whatever so it's like they're all trying to walk that line between like doing what you know like oh you know we're not we're not just totally capitulating but we're like you know we're not gonna actually do the thing that needs to be done and it's all it feels kind of like a madhouse like the you know pelosi's language about totally upending how our justice system works is just like how how mitch mcconnell and any of republicans can justify like justify themselves not submitting information to the public is bananas (laughs) yeah i mean i think for me, when I look at these things and I, I see the updates in the news, mm-hmm. it's just a reminder of <clears throat> the limits of the rule of law. Mm-hmm. Because ultimately, you know, even though we started out with a somewhat hopeful story about mm-hmm. a law potentially changing that can affect people that are vulnerable. Right. Ultimately, well- if not enough of the right people care enough to enforce it. Like there's still going to be ways for people to abuse their power, which sucks. But I do think that, you know, this has really made it very naked that, yeah, just because there's some hundreds of years old like document that's supposed to set some type of a standard for the way the country is run. Mm -hmm. If the people that are making these decisions have decided for whatever reason that they don't want to follow those rules, they will find any way to Mm -hmm. skirt that. So. Yeah. Um, interesting. Your note about how we started off with the story about how laws can change for the better. Mm-hmm. Um, almost all three of the stories we talked about before this one could fit into what you just said. True. Yeah. Which is interesting. Um, so there's a theme to today's show. But um, but yeah. And on that note, too, about, you know, the piece of paper and the people who enforce it. Um, Radio Lab had a really great series called More Perfect about the history. Yeah, I recommend yeah. that. It's a very good show. About yeah. <laughs> yeah it's just, like yeah, I think they had two seasons about the history of the Supreme Court and they talk a lot about how, you know, at the the start of the the nation, you know, the they had to they had to 
fight for this. It was like it was not like a fight fight, but like they there had to the ability of the Supreme Court to even set precedents and to, that people would listen to wasn't wasn't a given. Right. There was no like they can make a decision, but there there was no guarantee that the people in the states and the nation would listen and follow that. Um, and it's interesting. And, I th- and, you know, we're in a kind of scary place where it feels like, you know, I don't know, more panic attacks for me on the right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I would say don't panic, but Thank that's you. out of my control. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> don't panic. So, you know, like I would say stay informed, like don't be, don't let being informed like lead to like paralysis yeah. if you're listening, because yeah. I do still think, you know, as pessimistic yes. as I am, like I do still think that there's ways that you can like bring about some kind of positive change, mm-hmm. like just because what you're able to do or like what you're able to donate to or get involved in, it might not change the world overnight. It can still change a lot for the people that you have the power mm-hmm. to help. That's a really so. good note too, Jasmine, because I think I probably too often talk about how things make me really panicky and scared. And I think it, I think that's a really good point. And what I do when I feel like that is I, do, I give myself the space to take a break. Right. Yeah. So I, I did delete Twitter from my phone because I thought it was, it was, not giving me it wasn't giving me information so much as just anxiety right and you know I, I'm like at the New York Times well you know what I mean like I, I take a break and I'm making choices that help me feel like be a more effective carrier of information I'm not trying to block out news but I'm also trying to still function right we're only you know well we're, we're not only one person I'm only one person mm-hmm. you're only one person like so Sometimes like maybe you can carve out like what's an issue or what's something that is close to my heart. Like I think it's important. What are things that I can do like in Mm -hmm. my community? Like what's a cause I can donate to? Like can Mm -hmm. you help someone get out on bail? Like the Moms for Housing we spoke about a couple weeks ago. Mm -hmm. They were able to secure housing for their families because regular, regular people decided to band together like make sure that they could get out of jail Mm -hmm. like they could you know they put they applied public pressure so did it change who was in office no but it helped people that otherwise like have very little power it helped them to change their situation and hopefully will embolden other people to do Mm -hmm. the same so right just yeah just like Sometimes I get stuck in funks where I'm like, the smallest thing can seem like an impossible task. Mm-hmm. But once you get over that, the next thing isn't so hard. Yeah. So. And, you know, remember, yes, this year is going to be really overwhelming with the election and the fallout from whatever this impeachment trial is. But remember that, you know, speaking of small scale, like the reason that the impeachment trial is going the way it is, is because of senators which are a smaller vote smaller portion of the population can vote for easier in some maybe it feels easier in some ways to affect change right same with the house even getting to the point where they had where the democrats had a majority and were able to to talk about this um was because of an even smaller sector of the population um you know or like smaller sector voting to bring people that more better reflected the population's perspectives on things into into the the house yeah and there's also things that are on the ballot like ballot initiatives that you know i i understand a hundred percent that there's a lot of people that are apathetic about voting and there's a lot of good reasons to be apathetic but i personally still do it 
Um, yeah. Because just because something isn't enough to change everything doesn't mm-hmm. mean that what change it can affect is worthless. Yeah. You know, like it means something to people in your community if like yesterday they could get arrested just for walking home mm-hmm. from school in a miniskirt or whatever. And maybe next year that won't be the case. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, you know, yeah, can't it, fix all the problems, but I like, do what you can be right. be informed. Like, don't say, oh, this won't help anything. Right. But meanwhile, you're not doing anything at all. So. Don't give anyone the ability to point at this thing and be like, well, you know what I mean? Like, just just do it. It can't hurt you voting yeah, for what you believe hurt. in can't hurt um, a situation even if, if it makes you feel powerless in some ways. Um, that was a very cathartic conversation. I'm glad yeah. we transitioned. Into- Emily's <laughs> touching me. She's giving me her germs. <laughs> no, I just washed my hands. Okay. Um, but we're going to take another break, which I think is well-deserved. Um, and I'm also going to take a moment. So uh, we've been doing a few more plugs recently. And I actually host a music show on Thursday nights called Middle School Happy Hour with Jamie Lerner, um, where we have adult guests come on and um, and uh you know, put together playlists that they listen to in middle school and talk about what life was like for them now, then. Um, and it's a super fun time. Um, so Sounds traumatic. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, fun. It's, it's cathartic now because they're adults. Um, or, you know, it's fun to talk, have us have an area to talk about it in relation to your musical taste. Um, but yeah, so on that note, this is The Killers, all these things that I've done from Hot Fuss, which was a big deal for me when I was 13. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Brandon Flowers. Yeah. I'm. I got soul, but I'm not a soldier. (laughs) That's this one. (laughs) Here we go. If you can't hold on 
Objection to the Rule, your Sunday news hour, live on Radio Free Brooklyn. That was just all these things that I've done by the killers. Um, another plug for middle school happy hour, Thursdays, 10 p.m., also on Radio Free Brooklyn. Um, but we're going to dive back into some some world news stories now. Um, you're here in the studio with me, Emily, and Jasmine. Jasmine, running the boards expertly, I must say. I mean, all it is is sliding these things up and yep. down. So Girl, yeah. it, it looks intimidating. Mm-hmm. It looks like a monster. We got a new board because yes. our old one was acting Shot. up. Shot. Yeah. But yeah, I'm like, yeah, I'm a master of yeah. the mistress of the sounds. <laughs> yeah. It just takes a little practice, honestly. Once you start doing it, it's secondhand. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but all right, we're diving into some world news. And of course, that means Brexit. Mm-hmm. Yay. Yeah. Um, well, and it, y'all, it finally happened. Um, the European Union has signed off on Great Britain leaving the bloc. The official date was January 31st. After almost four years that have at times been quite emotional, the fact that it finally happened feels at least partially overshadowed by a looming pandemic, uncontrollable wildfires in Australia, and tensions with Iran. The whole thing also finally felt inevitable and not just like a mistake that could be fixed after an election in December gave Prime Minister Boris Johnson and his conservative pro-Brexit party the mandate to make it happen. And as the New York Times so poetically writes, quote, as if to emphasize how anticlimactic the event was, the European Council used a vote by email process reserved for technical decisions that don't require top officials or august gatherings. And it cloaked the news in the drabest possible language. The council has adopted by written procedure the decision on the conclusion of the withdrawal agreement on behalf of the EU, the European Council said in a brief statement. And that, I got all that research from the New York Times. Uh, so what comes as a what comes next is a transition period to negotiate a trade deal between what has become two separate political entities, which may bring the drama that was missing here. Um, but yeah, how are you feeling about Brexit, Jasmine? I mean, I'm I'm not a UK citizen, so mm-hmm. I I'm I'm speaking a little out of turn to say that it's I'm like devastated, yeah. but I definitely think that um there's gonna be a lot of unintended consequences mm-hmm. that hurt a lot of regular everyday people. Uh, I know some of my friends that are European that did have the opportunity to travel freely across some um, different national borders in Europe like that there's, there's going to be at least a stop for that when it comes to visiting mm-hmm. the UK and I also anytime like you have a lot of people voting on something that seems like very isolationist like xenophobic mm-hmm. like I worry about all of the 
visible minorities within that country mm-hmm. because it just seems to me things like this puts a, such a huge target on your back and people have labeled you and people like you as some kind of an enemy, which mm-hmm. is very scary. Like it's happening here. It's happening there. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, like a disease. Yeah. That's, you know, spreading like wildfire, unfortunately. So, yeah, no. Yeah. It's, uh, it's scary. It have been scary times and anything that, um, creates divisions instead of unifying groups um it's like circling the wagons what oh yeah wait can you explain that metaphor (laughs) like to circle the wagons it's like let's close up ranks right it's like when you have a very strong like us versus them mentality like we need to kick these people out yeah yeah and i uh yeah i it's it's worrying on like a macro scale and then also on a micro scale like i have a friend who uh works in spain but is you know from England right and he doesn't seem overly concerned which also feels very like you know whatever he it's being in Spain is very laissez-faire but I don't you know I, he can't know what's gonna happen with his job or whatever right yeah yeah you don't know because that's another thing like you have people that they had that freedom of movement right. from you know being able to travel to find work because I'm of the belief that migration is a human right mm-hmm. it's normal like for people to move depending on like where labor is and where they're needed, where they're able to make money to feed their families. And so having an island, especially one that, you know, it's like it takes a lot for a nation that literally like went around the world, Mm. like jumping in everybody else's (laughs) shit. Yeah. Now being like, no, like get out. You know, like there's, consequences that go back centuries Mm -hmm. that you know other parts of the world have been destabilized like their economies have been yeah fucked up because of the activities of the british government yeah and you know some of that leads to like there's instability in my home country like i'm gonna go to this rich nation like make a living Mm -hmm. like so having this happen it's really a slap in the face yeah yeah uh all right. Well, I think we got to move on in the interest of time and maybe mental health. <laughs> Do you want to read? Matt did another story for us. He did a world story. Do you want to read it, Jasmine? Sure, I'll read it. Cool. So Matt got this information from Al Jazeera News. It's a story that came out in January, it looks like. So it, the title of this one is Taiwan Becomes Most Gender Equitable in Asia. After the last election, women legislators now make up 42% of the governing body. The island's first female president was reelected with 57% of the vote, assuaging fears that the monumental election was a one-off. How has Taiwan succeeded where many other surrounding countries and governments have stalled in their gender equity? And not even just surrounding countries, even the country we're in right now. (laughs) Yep. A large part is a gender quota system. The quotas are called female safety net, requiring that women get at least half of the at-large seats in the legislature and one out of every four seats in local council elections. In American politics, the idea of quotas are are by some dismissed and feared by both the left and the right. Some see quotas as tokenism and others see it as anti-democratic. In the U.S., much gentler programs like affirmative action are furiously attacked. Why don't the Taiwanese hate quotas as much as we seem to? 
The quota has not seen much backlash as it was never invoked to install a woman in office by supplanting a man who garnered more votes. That is because the parties have the incentive to field strong female candidates to preempt just that outcome. Female leadership in most of the world generally starts from family ties. Considering Hillary Clinton was the first female presidential candidate for a major party, I don't know if that's true. (laughs) There was Shirley Chisholm. Well, oh yeah, Uh, right. I believe she was a. That was a major part. Like we can do some more research on that. But put a pin in it. Yeah. But, she, yeah, was she a major party? That is the question. Yeah, anyway. like we'll see. We'll but see. Matt's arguing. Yeah, Matt's arguing that she reached Hillary Clinton reached the level she was at in terms of the candidatism because of her husband. Right, yeah. right, 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 right. True, 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 true. Mm-hmm. But Taiwan <laughs> tells a different story. The common denominator of these top women is that none hails from a ruling family, as has been the case with nearly all female leaders in other Asian countries, notably. Apologies for the mispronunciation. Aung San Suu Kyi in mm-hmm. Myanmar, Indira Gandhi in India, and Corazon Aquino and Gloria Arroyo in the Philippines. Is this a good system? It seems to work for Taiwan. Very interesting. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna bulldoze ahead because we're almost out of time. Thank you for reading that, and thank you, Matt, for the research. Oh. Um, all right, so tonight's the Super Bowl, y'all. Um, and it's also, uh, the Super Bowl is attempting to go zero waste, which is super fun and interesting. And this is also the good news. I don't know if I already said that, but, um, so the world of sports doesn't usually make me personally think of eco-activism. In fact, they usually, uh, the two usually feel opposed, maybe because I've seen too many eighties movies where the jocks of the hippies up against the lockers. But the good news is that stereotypes don't hold up in the real world. And that also tonight's Super Bowl 54 is attempting to go waste free. The big game uh, will work to keep garbage out of landfills through things like recycling, composting, whatever burning excess trash for energy um, means. I don't know what that process that is. sounds dangerous. It sounds like <laughs> I think they stopped letting you burn your trash in the 60s. But anyway, um, and donating leftover food to Food Rescue US, a nonprofit that will pass that food on to those who need it. The idea of managing waste at something as huge and snack-driven as the Super Bowl sounds overwhelming, but Troy Hoddle, uh, pro- apologies if I pronounced your last name wrong, who's an engineer who has studied such things, says that stadiums are absolutely ideal for trying out zero-waste initiatives. He explains that most stadiums make people throw everything away. You can't bring your own stuff in. You have this very distinct border between the outside world and what's happening within the stadium. And that um, information from him and this whole um, little piece is from a National Geographic article, actually. Um, so that being said, because stadiums are so tightly controlled, it's also difficult to translate environmental strategies into the real world. So while they're like a good microcosm for testing things out, it's not a very easy shift to actually like using those strategies. Um, but any effort to divert what could be 160,000 pounds of garbage from the biggest game of the year is pretty great in and of itself. Cool stuff. Yeah, I mean... One less reason to find, you know, political, emotional issues with the, the NFL. Yeah, sure. There's plenty of reasons. But. Yeah, but that's good. That's <laughs> yeah. a step in the right direction. I, got, I think so, too. Um, so that was our last story. Um, you've been listening to Objections to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. Um, yeah. Do you want to read one of our 
regular updates? Sure, sure. So if you'd like to listen to Radio Free Brooklyn when you're not in front of a computer, consider downloading our free mobile app for iPhone and Android. I'm saying that for my family, especially (laughs) if you can't find the link. It's available for the iPhone and the App Store, Google Play for Android. And also, we're coming up on our fifth anniversary here at Radio Free Brooklyn. Please, please, please go to RadioFreeBrooklyn.com. Click on the donate button. We need your help. We're independent radio. We're donor driven. (laughs) Please, we need you. If you want to hear our dulcet voices, please. Yes, yes. (laughs) And listen in next week to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. Yeah, Yeah, we don't, you know, no one at the station makes money. We, um, in fact, people pay to put shows on because they love it so much. Which is great. We're doing it out of the kindness of yeah. our hearts. So please support yes, us. Yes, please support. So we have about 15 seconds left, Jasmine. Um, any last thoughts for the weekend? Um, Listen to Janet Jackson. Yes. Y'all. Don't watch the Super Bowl. No. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be fun. Well, I watch it if you want to. But uh, all right. Have a good weekend, everybody.